John 11, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to make a skip uh, at some point along the way, but I'll let you know when it happens. Fair? Okay. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? On his arrival, that's the skip, it just happened, verse 17, on his arrival Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Martha stayed at home, or Mary stayed at home, I'm sorry. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again on the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. The good news that we proclaim today, brothers and sisters, is that God cares about all of it, even more than we do. You, me, 
the big things, the little things, and everything in between. Absolutely nothing escapes the gravity of his loving attention. You need not go another minute. Living under the pressure that it's all up to you, and you need not care less just to make it through. God is ready to work in unexpected ways as you learn to consent to his care today. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I've found throughout my life that <clears throat> the way that I tend to pray starts by um, this little preamble whereby I think that I need to convince God to care as much about what I care about as I do. You ever do that? So it, it, the bigger the thing, the, the more important it is to me, the more I feel like I need when I bring this to God's attention, that I have to qualify it as being important. I have to say things like, you know how important this is to me, God. <laughs> Just so he remembers how important it is. Um, can you relate to that? To wondering whether or not God does actually care when something is uh, uh, deeply close, near, dear to you. Mary and Martha are having that kind of experience. Um, they're having a bad week. <laughs> I think it's easy to say that. Their brother Lazarus uh, has become sick and he ultimately dies. And the one person whom they know could actually have done something about it, who they had watched heal and restore countless times before, is nowhere to be found. You ever feel that way? And we learn something that they uh, don't even know, that Jesus wasn't just busy. He's not like Superman off fighting crime in another city. He intentionally delayed himself knowing that his friend was sick and about to die. He stayed away on purpose, which twists the knife all the more. And when Jesus uh, does finally arrive, the two sisters lodge the same complaint at him through what I can only imagine are tear-stained eyes and cheeks. If you had been here, they say. If you had been here. In other words, if you really did care, here's how this all would have played out. Our brother would be alive. We wouldn't be in mourning. I, this isn't an unreasonable conclusion <laughs> that they've come to, right? Perfectly reasonable. It's what any thinking person would come to given the same situation. Mary and Martha aren't actually alone even in being people of God who have certain expectations about what it looks like when God cares or when God shows up. Kings, prophets, psalmists. The Bible is full of people giving God an earful of questions regarding His care for them. Yeah? Psalm 44, verse 23 and 24. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? I mean, modern um, vernacular, that would be like, hey, 
Are you, are you napping on this? <laughs> Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? God, don't you realize what we're going through? Do you care? The Bible is full of people whose experiences are exactly like Mary and Martha's. Yeah? Which match our own experiences. We too think that if God is present and work and at work, that 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 we'll have certain experiences. That we'll be insulated from things like pain and grief and suffering. That my parents wouldn't have gotten a divorce or my mom wouldn't have died or I wouldn't have lost my job or we wouldn't have had to go through a global pandemic if God really cared. We have expectations, don't we? Conceptions about what care looks like. And when those expectations aren't met, it leaves us believing that we probably do care more about it than God does. I know we're not supposed to say that in church. (laughs) But it's true. You know it. I know it. And and I think the, the response oftentimes when this kind of thing occurs is that we, ha- we tend to have one of two reactions and maybe one followed by another. We tend to either go passive and try not to care so much about it. We close our heart off to it. Or we seek to control it. And deep down in our gut, we say something to ourselves like, if I'm the only one who's going to care about this, then I need to be the one that makes things happen. Because I can't rely on God to do it for me. We vacillate between control and passivity. Usually when something bad happens to me, uh, I respond immediately with control because I think I can handle it, manage it, rise to the occasion, and then I exhaust myself and I say, well, maybe I shouldn't care so much about it. And I go passive. What do you do when you care deeply about something, particularly something that doesn't turn out the way that you want, the way that you hoped, the way that you expected it to? Do you become controlling? Do you become anxious? Do you get angry? Do you go into micromanagement mode? Are you fearful that you did something wrong or that you need to care more to show God that you're serious about what you want? All of us have a mode, a reactivity that we move into. What's yours? The good news today, friends, is that God cares about all of it more than we do. The big things, the little things, me, you, everything in between, absolutely nothing escapes the gravity of his loving attention. And so you need not go another minute under the pressure that it's all up to you and that you need to control everything or that you need to care less about it and go passive just to make it through. God is ready to work in unexpected ways as you learn to consent to his care. Notice in our story that Mary and Martha cannot see the whole picture. They can't see the whole picture. Um, and, and 
there are certain details that the story gives that lets us know that this is what's happening. So for instance, Mary and Martha are unaware of the danger that Jesus was putting himself in by showing up in Bethany, but the disciples get it. You're going back there? But they, stone, they were ready to stone you the last time. Um, Mary and Martha don't realize that Jesus had become infamous to these religious leaders as a healer and a threat to their authority and that they would have expected Jesus to show up for a sick friend. In their grief, they would have overlooked the fact that those same leaders would be legally unable to arrest Jesus at a funeral when they could do so at a hospital. Like us, they can't see the full picture. And Mary and Martha aren't alone in this either. They aren't alone in coming up with a narrative or a story that tells them um, something about reality that isn't in fact true. This is the common human experience. It began all the way back in Genesis 3. You remember the story of Eve, who came to a determination about what eating a certain tree meant for her and for her future, and the fact that she must do this because she could not rely on God to give her what she most needed in that moment. All of us are either told or we tell ourselves untrue stories about what must be happening based on our limited perspective. And these stories that we tell ourselves lead to distrust of God. But notice, too, that even though this is the common human experience, and this is what Mary and Martha are going through, and this is often what we find ourselves going through, Jesus does not scold them for pointing a finger at him. He doesn't accuse them or dismiss them. And he doesn't even explain the reasons for his delay. What Jesus does do, what Jesus does do for them and for us is to meet them where they need God's love most. Two sisters ask the same question and they get two different responses from Jesus. Why? I think it's because Martha... Um, needs her perspective to change. She needs her mind to be open to new uh, realities. She, she needs the, the narrative of her limited perspective to be expanded by God's perspective. And so Jesus gives her the perspective that she lacks. He talks about the resurrection of the dead and God's presence to change reality that she cannot see a way out of. But Martha, Martha, or Mary, I'm sorry, gets a different response, doesn't she? Jesus doesn't say a word to Mary. Instead, Jesus enters into her grief and pain and allows it to become his own. What Mary most needs is not perspective, but connection. She needs to feel in her bones that God cares. She needs to know... Uh, in her heart that God sees. And so Jesus meets her in her moment of need. Jesus' love, friends, is not a one-size-fits-all care. And if God is like Jesus, then this is how the love of God shows up in our lives too. 
God's presence isn't a genie that comes to grant us our wishes. And God's presence is not uh, a dictator that imposes his will upon us and gets things done despite our inability to participate in it. When God shows up, it is the presence of abiding love that opens space for his care to meet you where you really are. The good news today is that God does care about all of it even more than you do. You, me, big things, little things, everything. Absolutely nothing escapes the gravity of his loving attention. And so you don't need to go another minute believing the untrue narrative that it is all up to you or that you need to care less somehow just to make it through. God is ready to work in unexpected ways as you learn to consent to his loving care. Because that's how it works. See, um, to say that God cares more isn't to say that everything is good or even that everything is God's will. Jesus shows up and he doesn't immediately snap his fingers for Mary and Martha and make things better. And even the person that he does raise to new life ends up dying in the end. What we see from uh, Jesus' experience of God's love showing up is that oftentimes people say no to that love. And God allows them to. To say that God cares is to say that God sees and enters in. He sees and he enters in. And this is the operating assumption of Jesus' entire life. I mean, if, if anyone was going to, um, to like, play the God card and just do things that like, God wanted to do and like, make everybody like, follow suit, <clears throat> Jesus had the ability to do it. I mean, he's God in the flesh, right? And yet this God who shows up in the form of Jesus, he never feels the need to control people or outcomes. He never assumed that he needed to force people into a decision or make them believe him. Jesus even seems to be okay with the fact that not everyone in a certain town gets healed before he moves on to the next one. He was able to sleep at night even though there were still people who were oppressed and possessed by demons. How would you be able to do that if you were God? Um, I think my assumption of how Jesus was able to sleep at night had um, something to do with his omniscience. The fact that like Jesus is all-knowing. That he knows all the outcomes, he knows everything that's going to happen, and because he knows it all, it's all like laid out before him, um, because there's no mysteries to Jesus, he can like rest in the fact that he knows exactly what's going to occur next and, and the thing after that. But I've come to see that that's actually not what Scripture teaches us about Jesus. Jesus, Paul says, put his div divinity and all the powers therein aside by becoming a human. 
he gave up his ability to know every outcome. And so, I mean, when Jesus is walking around, isn't he often surprised? Wow, you have great faith. Holy cow. I didn't see that coming, right? He's sad. He's frustrated. He's overcome. He's taken back by his experiences in this life on earth. And so it's not that Jesus is omniscient that gives him the ability to move through life with this non-anxious approach to everything and everyone he does, this non-coercive, non-controlling love incarnate. I want to contend today that the thing that enabled Jesus to live all of life in this posture of non-anxious engagement, was the assumption that his heavenly Father, in fact, did care about everything and everyone at least as much as he did, if not more. The sick, the poor, the lost, the lonely, the oppressed, the nation, the world, he could rest in the assumption that God cared about everything. This posture, I think, freed Jesus to be compassionate and curious as to what God was up to in every circumstance. It enabled him to make connections and make space for people in his path, even when they interrupted his agenda. Wow, God's doing something here. I better stop and take notice, right? Think of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He's on his way to a sick girl's house. Uh, of, uh, who's the daughter of a very important man, and this woman touches the hem of his garment and suddenly becomes healed. What does Jesus do? He, he doesn't tell her to get off of him so that he can get onto his agenda. He goes, wow, God is present and at work here, and I didn't realize it. Let me stop and tend to what God is doing. This uh, understanding of the way the world works gave Jesus the courage to face Incredible resistance. Even pouring out his own life for us on a Roman cross. And the shocking thing, I think more shocking than almost anything Jesus ever said, is that we will do greater things than he. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I, I really don't. I don't have a clue of all that is contained within that little sentence. But one thing I do know is that Jesus is saying that the life that I'm able to live is not just for me. But it's for those who, like me, are able to entrust themselves to this same good news. That God cares about all of it more than we do. Everything. You, me, big and little things and everything in between and that absolutely nothing escapes the gravity of his loving attention. And our our propensity when things don't go our way is to control or go passive, believing it's all up to us or that we need to close our hearts off. It's in those moments that God is ready to work in unexpected ways as we learn to consent to what he's up to. So what if this actually was true? (laughs) Not just like 
in the Bibles that are like here under the seats all week. But in your real life, what if it was actually true? How would your life change if you entertained this as the operating assumption of everything that you do and with everyone that you encounter? The longer I live, the more I realize that the primary assumption of my life, the prim- well, let's, let, let me say it this way, the primary driver of so much of what I see and what I do is not love or trust, but fear. And I think fear leads us to either check out or choke out what is happening around us. It leads us to say things like, Jesus, take the wheel. Or Jesus, take a back seat. (laughs) To either make things happen or passively see what happens. To rely on ourselves or to disengage. To be hands-on or hands-off. Those are the only two things that we have an imagination for. But if God cares about all of it more than we do, then we can learn how to hold on, actually, with open hands to sense his movements and his leadership and to respond to them with surrender and trust. And so we, we I mean, we have all these trite phrases, but we, we don't just let go and let God. I don't see that anywhere. But we don't just white-knuckle it through every situation either. We, to use a different term, consent to what God is doing. We open ourselves up to the God who is present to us. And we trust that maybe he's doing things that we can't see. And so we say things like, what if God really does care more than I do? And what if his care looks differently or takes longer than I have the perspective to see right now? Um, There are many times in my life I could point to when I needed that perspective, and I'm sure you can too. Um, One of those times, though, was I would say about three years into the life of our church. So um, it was about year three that um, uh, I was talking to Jen about it actually at the time, and, and we were kind of talking about all these things that happening, and she said, it's almost as if the honeymoon's over. I don't know if you remember saying that. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty true. It feels that way. Uh, because all of a sudden, there is some conflict there. And some people had left. And others uh, seemed indifferent or even antagonistic to our vision as a church and what we were hoping to see happen. Before that, I would say everything was sort of up and to the right. Growing numerically, excitement, engagement, financial generosity. It felt like what I assumed the blessing of God would feel like. And then suddenly there was a shift. There was struggle and opposition and discouragement. And as a result, I uh, often I had a lot of sleepless nights, the first of many, where I felt anxious and fearful, where I questioned or I was nervous, or even hopeless at times. And I remember my prayers in those seasons being a lot like Mary and Martha's. 
A lot like the prayers I used to pray before I was a believer or follower in Jesus that I thought were like snuffed out of me a long time ago. And suddenly here they were again. And I'm praying things like, God, don't you care? Wasn't this church your idea? (laughs) If you did care, we'd still be succeeding the way that we were before. It felt, again, like I needed to convince God that he should care more about this thing that I care about. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it took years. It's still taking years. To come to a realization that maybe God's care of me and God's care of our church might actually look differently than my perceptions of success. That maybe his care didn't mean the absence of problems, but that all the challenges that we were facing were ripe with opportunities to meet God in those challenges. That he was present and at work. I'm still learning this. Um, I think when we say things like God cares about all of it more than we do, um, that we, we could fall into the trap, as I said last week, of using this to spiritually bypass where we actually are. It's one of those phrases that we just like slap over something so that we don't have to look at reality. But I suggest to you today that we utilize it. We utilize this framework, this understanding, not to avoid reality, but to face it. Because the one that you face it with cares. He cares deeply about you, about it, about all of it. And he stands ready to enter into it with you, with what you most need. Do you need perspective today? Are you like Martha? Are you telling yourself a narrative about reality and that narrative leads you to the conclusion that God doesn't care? Maybe you need a, a, an expansive imagination, a new perspective. That's okay. Or maybe you need connection like Mary. Maybe you don't need answers. You just need to know that God is there and that he cares and that he sees. And that would be good news to you. Whatever it is, God stands ready to meet you in your greatest need. So as we respond, let's get real. It's easy to live in abstracts when it comes to things like saying God cares about all of it more than we do, but what is the it that you care about? What's the it? We're going to respond in prayer here in a second. And what I would like you to do if you have the faith to do so, and it's okay if you don't, but is to picture a situation or a person that you do care deeply about. And we're going to be still in God's presence here. And as we do that, I want you to hold that thing or that person in your mind and tell God, tell him what you think about it. Tell him how you feel about it. Tell him what you hope for in it. What you want to see happen. What you fear won't.
And then be aware of the, when I say that, do you feel yourself going into control or passivity? Just take note of that. And then as we pray, instead of assuming that you care more about it than God, maybe, just maybe, allow yourself to shift from a posture of God, do you care, to God, I trust that you do indeed care. How are you at work? Help me to know what's mine to, to care for and what I can leave in your capable hands. That's what consent looks like. The good news that we proclaim today is that God cares about all of it, even more than we do. All of it. And so nothing escapes the gravity of his loving attention. Don't leave this minute believing that it's all up to you or that you need to close your heart off. Consent to what God is ready to do even if it's unexpected, even if it doesn't materialize in the way that you anticipated. Because God really does care about all of it. Let's pray.